It was 25 years ago, in the year of 1997, that we bid farewell to this land, supposedly for good, and we emigrated to Singapore. While we, re we were residing there, my parents made a difficult trip to come down and visit us and to spend time with us. I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with him. The honest question we had to ask is whether he would spend his last days with us, his next generation, in a foreign land, or he might choose to come back to Hong Kong, his hometown. But that will also mean that it will be a last time that we embrace him in this land of the living. He made the decision to fly back to Hong Kong with my mom while he could still travel, with full knowledge that that is very likely his last time. While God was gracious, we actually had a few other occasions whereby we traveled and visited him. In fact, the whole family, three siblings, we came back from three different countries with our next generation to witness his water baptism in the hospital ground. In a few weeks down the road, he was able to witness my mom's water baptism. And that very night, he passed on peacefully. What a farewell. And today we are going to refer to the farewell from Paul to the elders of Ephesus upon his rounding up his third missionary journey en route to Jerusalem. So surely Paul has much to say to his church and to us and we have much to learn. So Paul will set an example for us to live for Christ and to endure sufferings. He will encourage the elders and indeed all of us to shepherd over the flock. And last, none the least, that how we may give to be a blessing. Throughout this message, I will try to put together that binding to the Holy Spirit, that love by serving and watching over others, and giving are all integrated. So I think it would be helpful that we do a quick recap of the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. After all, he, sent, he spent two years in this mission station, much longer than any others, including Corinth. He ministered in Ephesus and he performed extraordinary miracles of healing, of ministry, of the word. And in fact, there is this comic story. A family of seven sons of a Jewish priest, they imitated Paul and invoked the name of Jesus Christ to practice exorcism. But of course, the demon won't listen to them. And in fact, those sons were badly beaten up by the demons. But that gave an awe on fear that gripped the people of Ephesus. They have such reverence for the name of Jesus Christ. It was recorded in Acts 19, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was, high, was held in high esteem. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The city of Ephesus and its culture was literally transformed by Paul's ministry. 
And most of all, the word of God spread throughout Asia Minor, which was the key commercial route linking the eastern and the western part of the Roman Empire. Well, we almost yearned for the same kind of impactful ministry here in Hong Kong to be replicated. After the famous riots in Ephesus, God set his heart to preach all the way to Rome. And by now, he would travel out to Macedonia and Greece to collect love offerings for the Judean church. While he was departing Greece, the Jews made up a plot. So Paul has to make a deroute. He has to pass by Ephesus, and therefore he could only call upon the elders to say a final farewell. Church, let's appreciate the power in this outpour. And the power really comes from the very personal and intimate relationship between Paul and his beloved church. Acts 20, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you. Paul has three main themes to cover. He's presenting himself as an example for the Ephesian elders. He presents to them a charge and a warning. And finally, he commits them to God. Obviously, the most prominent theme of Paul would be his own example. He was an example as he identified with the people. He lived amongst them. He served God with humility and tears. And he went from house to house to preach. Indeed, he served the God with great humility and with tears. And it is here that we have a glimpse into the very tender side of Paul. Well, we must know that humility is not a virtue readily embraced by the Roman culture. Rather, it was often thought to be a representation, a sign of weakness for the individual. Yet Paul seeks to embody a servant leader model that he learns from the Lord Jesus. Well, in my previous church in Singapore, the parking lot is about seven minutes from the church premise. And in order to, pra- to pamper the congregants show they, uh, that they do not have to walk under the hot sun, we actually arranged for a pickup van for them. Well, the interesting thing is, the drive itself takes five minutes. <laughs> Anyway, I volunteer to be one of the drivers, and it is through such serving that you know sometimes there are many things that was done in this church, in that church, okay, <laughs> that was not appreciated. Anyway, we, uh, the volunteers do double up as traffic marshals, and as we directed the traffic in a double-packed, fully-packed car park, we received scolding left and right from none other than the congregants. <laughs> well, that's where we learn humility while we served in low positions. Paul sets yet another example. He obeyed, he obeyed despite his sufferings. Well, there seems to be two conflicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit compelled Paul 
to travel to Jerusalem. Yet at the same time, he gave much warnings about his possible sufferings. But Paul's commitment to Christ helps him reconcile this seeming contradiction. Even if such faithfulness involves suffering and imprisonment, he is willing to obey. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul uses the image of being chained, tied up like a prisoner. In this instance, by the Holy Spirit. This same word, compelled, is also translated as bound. It's used to describe Paul's binding in chains when he subsequently was indeed taken into custody by the Romans in Jerusalem. The metaphor underlines Paul's conviction that indeed this is a divine imperative, bound by the Spirit. Yet we also record how Paul reflected on his ministry. Despite his being bound in chains, he was actually able to advance the gospel all the way to the royal court in Rome. And this gospel continues spread despite his imprisonment. As for Paul, in every city, the Holy Spirit warns him. Even after his farewell in Ephesus, Along the way to Jerusalem, people in Tyre warned of the same fate awaiting him. The Judean prophet Agabus also warned Paul that he will be bound and arrested as he travels to Jerusalem. But he considered his life worth nothing. His only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Lord Jesus Christ has given him, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul remained bound to Christ. What does binding mean for us? So some years back, I signed up for a venture, skydiving in New Zealand. After a really sleepless night, I checked into the venue, and by the time we were bound, strapped in tandem to the instructor, and the, f- and the plane began to ascend, there's no chance to chicken out. <laughs> but indeed, throughout the ascent, I frantically check that I'm really tightly bound to my instructor. <laughs> but then, there's some whisper between the instructors. Oh, we made a mistake. Wow, what mistake? Well, we find out that we signed up for a 12,000 feet jump off. But they mixed it up. Now we are to jump off 15,000 feet. Well, it's a bonus. It's a free upgrade. (laughs) Well, the thing is, well, it may not have too much difference. Well, the real difference is the time of the free fall. You free fall longer before the parachute opens up around 3,000 feet. But there would not be any difference as long as the parachute opens up and you are tightly bound. Well, this is a leap of faith and I'm eternally grateful that I was indeed tightly bound really well. Well, the thing is, are we tightly bound 
through Christ. Sometimes in our different seasons in life, we almost felt that we were free fall. We just dropped. We just fall. But there we are. Are we bound tightly to Jesus? Do you take courage from your relationship with him that in these challenging times, you can fully entrust in him? Sometimes fear comes into our lives, especially when we fail to be bound tightly to Christ. But if any one of us is feeling that sense of fear, check to see how your relationship with Jesus is. He will catch you always, even as you fall, but stay bound to him. Paul exclaims, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free. I do this, all of this, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. In other words, Paul is telling us the cause of the gospel is so great that any price is worth paying in order to advance it. Are we, are we willing to pay that price? Indeed, Paul issued a warning and a charge for his elders. He's fully aware that after his departure, things could go very wrong in Ephesus' church. So most importantly, the elders are to watch out for themselves. And of course, they must also watch over and shepherd the flock. The concept of a flock of sheep as an image of the community of God's people is well rooted in the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, the shepherds have been so concerned about feeding themselves that their sheep went astray. They were not well fed, they have roomed the whole size to unprotected areas and have become prey for the wild animals. And that's where, in this very dreadful situation, God himself took up to become the shepherd for his sheep. That beautiful role of being the shepherd, the pastor of his people, is beautifully expressed in Psalm 23. Now, fast forward to New Testament. Of course, we know that Jesus becomes our good shepherd. Then Peter, as a representative of all Christian leaders, is three times entrusted by Jesus. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And now here, Paul reminded the leaders must shepherd the flock. For Paul himself, he's working as a tent maker in Ephesus. Well, this allowed him to live amongst the people in the city, where many just travel in and travel out. Literally, he come across people from all walks of life, from throughout the Roman Empire. And often, people come to him or his shop to receive his service and ministry. In his workplace, he probably reached out to more people than he managed in the synagogue and the hall where he preached. Paul set out the example of living amongst people. We may say that, well, he's a double agent. He worked to support himself in the ministry during the day, and he pastored whenever in between. But for us, we can all likewise follow his example. Yes, we do have a daytime job, but we can be the double agents. 
Indeed, we, can, we should embrace our shepherd role. God has entrusted someone under our care, someone for us to look out for. Well, of course, the challenge for modern-day believers is real, very real. We are so used to forfeiting our pastoral roles to the pastors. True, not all of us are pastors or elders or leaders by title, but we are all endowed with that responsibility, that noble task to look out for others, the very one sitting just right next to you, that very role of a shepherd to look out to pastor his flock. Now, your flock could be your staff while you're a boss, while you're middle management, a team leader, a teacher, a manager. Your flock could be your household. Come on, husbands, look after your household. Shepherd your flock, your spouse, your children. Your flock could also be your small group members, your ministry co-leaders. Wherever God places us, we are duty-bound to watch out for each other. I'm tremendously blessed as the nature of my work allow me to, to reach out to people from all different countries who come and visit me. Not long ago, I had that privilege to pray for a couple who came from a real far away country that I never had a chance to travel to. But I'm more blessed than they are, even as they go through some of those toughest moments in life, but I can journey on with them. I have fond memories of another lady under my care in my clinical practice and, their, and her lovely children. We became good friends as she had a very prolonged stay in the hospital. Then we, including my wife and the small group, were able to reach out to her, to befriend her, to invite her to celebrate her birthday outside of the hospital, and to share Jesus with her. And we were also privileged to stand alongside her family when we bid her final farewell during her funeral. We teared, and yet we are comforted. On quite a few subsequent Chinese New Year's, her children would continue to call us and send us their greetings. I'm confident that by now, they have grown up to become young men, young women of stature. Because ultimately, it is Christ who watches over them. But we have that honour to partner with Christ to watch over them. Well, many of you in the audience is aware that I'm serving as an elder in this church. What a noble task and yet awesome responsibility. Yet you may wonder what elders really do in this church. Well, very briefly, we are elected by the congregation for a three-year term. We can be re-elected for another term, a total, a max of six years, with occasional exceptions. So we're here to help shoulder the spiritual leadership of the church. We are to discern and advise on critical matters, both spiritual, and strategic example, the church plant. We carry the responsibility of corporate governance, including financial well-being of the church, as well as legal responsibilities 
in the secular sphere. But most of all, we also are there to watch out for the congregation. Over the past six years, we have witnessed some of the most phenomenal growth of this church. Then, of course, we also see the challenge of the social movements and the seemingly never-ending COVID-19. But you can be best assured, and you have probably experienced, how the pastoral team has stayed committed to watch out for you. Now, fellow elders and I are rightfully not in the forefront of ministry, but we share that burden of spiritual overseeing to look out for the flock. Personally, I do often find Paul's charge and warning too much to bear. How are we able to shepherd the flock when sometimes we don't even know our flock? There was a real challenge when our church grew so fast a few years ago. Now we have another challenge when we have so much dynamic movements in and out of the flock. We hardly recognize your faces behind the masks. But I find my comfort and reassurance that it may not be most important that we know you in person or vice versa. It is only important that you are known by our chief shepherd, Lord Jesus Christ, and that you continue to hear his voice. But for as long as you are part of this faith community, our commitment remains that we shall watch over you. Apostle Peter likewise encouraged all of us, tend the flock, not as compelled to do, but willingly, not for gain, but eagerly, be examples. Some 14 years ago, we relocated back to Hong Kong and someone looked out for us here in this church. Now church, think of yourself as a pastor, a shepherd. Each and every one of us can look out for someone in our midst, in our own sphere of influence. Paul concludes his speech by once more presenting the challenge of his own life as an example for the others to follow. While he was with them, he showed sincere commitment. He did not convert what others had. Rather, he worked hard with his own hands to provide for the needs of his team. And in the process of earning money, he also helped those who are in need. We must help the weak. Generosity with money, with food, with material possessions is indeed a hallmark of the early church. And it is a virtue that Paul empowers his congregation to practice. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Christ said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We must understand there is this principle of reciprocity, which is deeply ingrained in the Greek culture. That is, one must give in equal measure to what one has received. Paul's exhortation strikes out this idea. Instead, he encouraged believers to give to those who cannot give in return. In the book of Acts, in fact, Luke describes how in the church there was no needy person, which itself looks back to the law of Moses, which commanded that the confident community 
there should be no persons in need. Herein, Paul encouraged his communities to look out for the poor in their midst. The church now should think of herself as the vanguard of a renewed Israel community, an ideal community where no one was to be left to cope alone. And even as he was persecuted by his own people, Paul cared for those in need, including those in Judea, to support them during the famine. Ultimately, our giving of money, of our life, and of ourselves should be a reflection of what we learned from our Lord Jesus Christ as he gave of himself. You're familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. So a quick summary of what a Christian expression should be like. There should be binding to the Holy Spirit. We are to serve, to watch out for others, and we are to give. As we bind ourselves to Christ, we experience his love to serve others with great love, being generous in the giving of ourselves. And sometimes when our love bank got depleted, our binding to Christ fills us up once again so the cycle can continue. Now, while there is much encouragement from Paul, after all, a farewell is a farewell. It is, in fact, heartbreaking to have Paul bring this up again in his farewell speech, that they would never see his face again. Now, even in modern days, we face that kind of dilemma when we think of legacy that we may leave behind when we are one day no longer in this land of living. On that note, we really need to know two things. That all our stuff is not ours. And number two, and all our stuff is not us. We are not defined by what we have. Life indeed is not defined by what we have, even when we have a lot. While I recall the very first time that I had privileged to sit down with Pastor Andrew for a lunch that was some six or seven years ago. I guess he was interviewing me to see whether I'm fit to be considered to become an elder in the vine. So I came up with this model answer. I came to a season of my life that I realized it's much more important for me to give than to receive. Well, it is not a matter of whether I had enough materially at that time. It is just a realization that I'm left with so little chances and time to give of myself. In fact, my favorite story that I shared with one of my very rich patients was the parable of the rich man who built yet another bind to store even more. Well, he was to go through a minor surgery under light anesthesia. But he went into a somewhat confused state. He was so scared, so fearful, as if he was running for his life. So after the incident, it opened up an opportunity whereby I can reach out to him to care for him 
and to introduce this story of the real rich man. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I do want to share something more about farewell before we finish for the day. Over 35 years of clinical practice, I have encountered more deaths than probably most of you in the audience. I find that some departed well prepared, but many others did not. However, when it became evidence to me that I myself am facing a finite future for myself upon diagnosis of blood cancer, I decided to do a good farewell, a joyous one. I invited different people because I wanted to thank the many people who have poured into my life. I wanted to appreciate all those who journeyed with us through thick and thin. I want to encourage all our spiritual sons and daughters that we have shared our life and that they may carry on with steadfast trust in God regardless. And I wanted to share my faith with friends and beloved ones whom have as yet to know Jesus. So in no other places than this auditorium right here, we hosted our anniversary banquet. A good excuse whereby we are to share our 25th wedding anniversary. And we are also there to celebrate life. But deep in me, there was this sense of farewell. And hopefully, it is set well ahead of time. Our anniversary wish was that we might be able to celebrate yet another 25 years of marriage. Well, we had indeed celebrated our 30th anniversary not long ago. And we are still eagerly looking forward to spending time together. Living is about giving. And my desire is that I may continue to give and to give of myself. In Paul's word, he's pouring his life like a drink offering. Indeed, I'm already poured out like a drink offering. Now, church tradition was such that Paul was released after his arrest in Jerusalem and imprisonment in Rome. He was able to revisit many of his churches and his friends upon the release. So somehow, a final farewell might not be final. But that would be God's extra grace. And as recipients of his grace, we just need to be reminded once again, to give is more blessed than to receive. And living 
is about giving. I want to invite all of us to stand. I've shared this message to encourage all of us to look out for someone else. There must be someone that you can look out for, that you can shepherd. So I want to invite all of us to look out for someone standing next to you, to pray with him for whatever challenges, for whatever free fall that he's experiencing. But you are there to look out for him. And likewise, he will pray for you. It's important time that we practice serving and loving by praying with each other. So pair up with someone that you don't quite know and pray with him, with her, that God will continue to watch over, that he or she will be binded by the Holy Spirit, will be binded to Christ, that they will be able to serve and to love others. Take your time, pray with each other, commit to each other.